Perhaps you got alternatives I'm not aware of. Seems to me you have two choices. Either I drop you somewhere and you start running, or you come with me and help with something important. And of course, you could try and kill me and take the ship. Define important. Taking something of real value from the Empire. I don't need you to steal, seeing how well you're doing on your own. Greetings, Bucketheads, Mavar Tigar. Welcome to the 175th and or recruiting episode of MandoVision, Nargai Tom. And thank you so much for checking out this small, independent Star Wars podcast. We're so glad you're here for our day of and or reviews and releases. The best way to find us is, of course, on social media. We are at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. Email the show, MandoVisionTom at gmail.com. Please make sure to like, subscribe, follow, and share the show with all the Mandalorians in your covert. How are we doing? We're back. It's episode four of Andor, and there's a lot to get into. There's a lot to unpack here. This is a very dense episode of the show. Many, many uh, threads we can pull on here. There's a lot to get into, a lot to talk about, but uh, again, another really enjoyable episode of the show, and I'm really enjoying this sort of... um, breath of fresh air, if you will, for, for the Star Wars franchise. You know, the show has a different look, a different feel, a different tone to it. Uh, it's visually striking. It's intricately plotted. Uh, and, and it's, it's again, like I said last week, it's scratching a Star Wars itch that uh, I've needed scratching for a, for a long, long time. And this show is delivering the goods. So we go from the big action-packed, uh, I don't know if it's a conclusion, but uh, the, the opening act... You know, in episode three, full of action as Andor and Luthen are evading the corporate security that's come to issue a warrant for Andor's arrest, and all hell breaks loose on Phoenix. And there you go. The escape is made. That's the end of the episode. They take off, and where would we go from here? Well, we pick up right where we left off with, with Luthen and Cassian. Then in the big recruitment pitch, I guess, is the way we can describe it. But we're gonna save all that for the other side of the bump. Let's go ahead and get into the particulars for this week's episode of Andor. It is written by Dan Gilroy, directed by Susanna White. Our plot for this week. Uh, out of options, Cassian is recruited for a dangerous mission to infiltrate an Imperial garrison. 
Our principal cast this week, once again, Diego Luna as Cassian Andor. Stellan Skarsgård is Luthien Rail. Denise Gall makes her appearance as Deidre Miro, the Imperial Security Bureau agent. Pretty exciting on that one. Who else have we got in this episode? Oh, uh, Genevieve O'Reilly makes her return as Mon Mothma. And uh, just, just, just a lot going on this episode. Uh, wonderful supporting cast in the show as well. But we have a lot to get to. Let's go ahead and, and try and dive in and start uh, pulling apart the, this beautiful tapestry that they're weaving together for us so we can talk about the varied and tangled webs of, de- of deceit and deception, the, 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 the Tinker Tailor soldier spy of it all that's happening in Star Wars right now. Let's do it. Let's get going. You know what that means. It's time. Strap on your buckets. Let's go. Uh, I fought in Mimban when I was 16. Two years of it. Straight out of prison into the mud. I'm one of 50 that survived. And who did it turn out we were fighting? <sighs> Ourselves. So please. You were on the ground in Mimban for six months. You came in as a cook. You lived because you ran. But you're right about one thing. The Empire had you fighting each other. Which should make you hate them all the more, and you do. I said I know you. I know the outside. I know what people tell me when I ask. The rest I imagine. I imagine your hate. I imagine that no matter what you tell me or tell yourself, you'll ultimately die fighting these bastards. So what I'm asking is this. Wouldn't you rather give it all at once to something real than carve off useless pieces till there's nothing left? I didn't risk my ass for the Starpath unit. I came for you. It's pretty interesting to me that we start this episode off with Cassian lying to Luthen about his time on Mimbin. Um, and again, it's great to see Mimbin being referred to in, in some Star Wars stuff. Obviously, the, the old school reference of it uh, connected to the Alan Dean Foster novel, The Splinter of the Mind's Eye. But as we all know popularly, Mimbin reincorporated into the new canon uh, for, for Solo, as we know that, that Han was sent there as an Imperial grunt after he's kicked out of the Flight Academy. Uh, so now you have to wonder, did, did Andor and Han Solo's path cross on Mimbin at some point? Possibly. I guess that's something they could explore if they wanted to. I sincerely doubt they will. Uh, but it's interesting to, to, to find this out about, about Andor, about Cassian at this point in his, in his life. Uh, very much a liar, an embellisher. He's, he sort of has uh, uh, spun a yarn of, of who he wants to present himself to be. But Luthen has the resources and, and the wherewithal to know it's not the truth, it's an exaggeration, and that uh, you know it serves Cassian to tell these stories, but Luthen's not buying any of it. He sees through that. He sees that Cassian has been affected by the Empire, but maybe in, in not... He, Luthen's trying to direct the anger that he senses from Cassian towards the Empire. That's sort of like the, 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 the thing that's driving Luthen to recruit him. He sees the potential. He sees the skill set. It's all there. But right now, Cassian's anger is, is misdirected. It's all over the place. And it's, it's more self-serving. It's not looking at the big picture. It's not being applied in a way that Luthen believes would be most beneficial uh, to the cause. And that is very, very interesting stuff because, again, we're seeing an Andor who's very different from the one we meet in Rogue One. 
uh, and and I think at this point in his, in his life is a lot more like uh, the Jin Erso when we meet her in Rogue One. So that might be part of the, like sort of the frustration that we see in Rogue One when Cassian and Jin first come into contact with each other. I think I think Cassian sees a lot of Jin in himself, and we're seeing that in this younger Cassian now as he as he's sort of being applied. Uh, and, and sort of, uh, you know, recruit is the, the nicest way to put it. <laughs> but I, I think most accurately, he's being directed towards the cause and, and being like, listen, you have a skill set. And the Empire, like you said, they're the worst. <laughs> and we, you could be doing so much more if you let me point you in the right direction and, and have at it. And that's why Luthen takes him to Aldhani. And he's going to put him up with a, a, a ragtag team of, of rebels who are going to stage something of a heist, right? So we're going to get a bit of a heist in, in possibly the next episode of the show. Uh, because this, this I mean, this is a group of, of rebels who really needs it. I mean, they are really, <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of, you know, heroes in this group. Like, they are here to do, they want to give, they want to stick it to the Empire. They want to get them off their planet. But it's, it's, you know, it is the definition of ragtag, and Cassian's in there to sort of help get them to achieve this goal. It's seven people, and Andor's there to to sort of bring it home. You know, he has the skills there. You know, they've all said that they're a person short, and so we meet the, this these, this group on Aldhani, and we find out that Aldhani has a lot in common with uh, with Canari, as we saw the, in the flashbacks of, of Cassian's time on his home planet. And the sort of presence that the Empire brought there, the displacement of its people, the destruction of its planet with the with the mining accident on Canari, and we find out that Aldhani is is a, is a similar place, um, where they've displaced the locals, put in this garrison, put in this this um, uh, shipyard base, not shipyard, that's not the right word, but a, a, an imperial shipping center because uh, Aldhani is 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 right in the middle of everything, but not important enough for anybody else to pay attention to it. And in a political sense, I suppose that's why it's a great place to put an, a, an imperial base, right? Uh, except that they're displacing the locals. The natives are upset about that, obviously, rightly so. And so, so they want to rise up. And Luthen's sort of stoking that fire. And, and I think what we're obviously going to get into is that uh, it's, it's a big... This is a job to sort of fund the entire rebellion that Luthen's trying to get off the ground here. You know, the, the plan here on Aldhani is, is to rob the quarterly pay for the entire sector. And that, that money has to go to funding the rebellion because when we catch up with Luthen later on in the episode, again, what's, what's he talking to my moth about? Getting funding for re- the rebellion. And rebe- rebellions are not cheap. You know, you've got to buy weapons. You have to buy uh, locations and information. And there's a whole infrastructure that has to come into place if you're going to organize if you're going to have an organized rebellion that is is more than just you know splinter cells attacking here and there you know death by a thousand paper cut kind of uh, maneuverings no no no. like luther wants to really organize something here and and that's going to cost money and that seems to be like what they're really hammering home in this episode and and I, i like that we're getting into that you know we've spent time with the rebel show and you know a lot of the stuff in in some of the background material that exists for Star Wars, like whether it's the books or the comics or, or, or even some of the old video games, they sort of imply some of this stuff. They sort of uh, dance around the issues. It's like you know, getting a rebellion together is hard. It's not just about idealism and doing the right thing in the face of of wrongness and, and evil and tyranny. There is 
a lot of logistics. There is a lot of resources that have to be gathered to make your rebellion organized, to make it be something that can sweep across the galaxy and, and draw people to your side, to draw talent and to draw uh, uh, you know, ships and armaments and, and everything you need to stand in the face of this giant giant empire that is just built to crush you, to suppress all of these things. That takes funding. And so we're, like I said, we've, in the last, you know, last week when we, got, we, when we got into the first three episodes, we were seeing more of a ground level approach to everything. We we're seeing it, you know, boots on the ground. And that is what this is as well. We're, we're seeing that boots on the ground approach to getting the rebellion organized, getting the rebellion off the ground, and, and being able to poke the stick right in the eye of the empire, as, as Luthen says. Another interesting element to this, again, Luthen calling out Cassian for, uh, and he doesn't really call him out. I shouldn't say it that way. It's not like he calls him on the spot and is like, hey, you're a liar. No, no, no. He corrects him. He corrects him in a very subtle way to let Cassian know that he can't pull one over on him, that Luthen's done his homework on Cassian Ender. Cassian Ender! I was complimented on my Stellan Skarsgård impression earlier in the week, so I wanted to drop it out there again. I didn't do it as well this time. I could tell. It was a little, I got a little caught in my throat. But <laughs> maybe I'll try it again one more time before the show's out. <laughs> but it, it's, again, interesting that Luthen calls him out. Mm, again, I said it again. Interesting that Luthen puts him on the spot, lets him know that he knows he's lying. Because there's a lot of, this episode shows a lot of duplicity, right? Luthen being duplicitous. You know, we get to see his other life in this episode. We get to see him as this haughty toddy uh, high-end shopkeeper on Coruscant. We get to see the duplicity that Mon Mothma has to live with in her life as this imperial senator who is trying her best to use subterfuge and, 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 and hide the fact that she's trying to funnel money to Luthen to fund a rebellion, to stand in the face of the Empire. But, you know, lying is, is clearly something that, that's not easy for Mon Mothma. The, the, the deception that's involved, knowing that people are watching her every day there's new drivers, new security people. There's no one she can trust in her circle now. You know, every time she goes to the bank to withdraw credits, to move money around, it's new tellers. She feels completely cornered. And as she tells Luthen in, in, in his shop, there is, there is, you know, she is more at risk than anyone because at this point she is the face uh, and a very public face about this. You know, we all know that Bail Organa is also involved, but he may be shuttling back and forth to Alderaan you know, she is in Coruscant. She is in the lion's den. Uh, and, and, and if all eyes are on her, because they suspect that, that she may be doing something nefarious to, to undermine the Empire, then of course, yeah, she's at risk. One of the elements to that part of the storyline that I really enjoyed was as we return to Coruscant and Luthen goes into the back of his ship to like almost like a secret area of his ship where he keeps his his disguise for his Coruscant personality, for that persona that he assumes when he's on Coruscant, you know, putting on the wig, the high-end clothing. And the, I love the way he takes like that moment to sort of get his affectations kind of back in place as he goes, again, putting himself in the lion's den uh, and, and, and putting himself in a position to be compromised and to be captured and caught if he were to be found out. So I, I love that he sort of pauses and to, to sort of remind himself, he's like, okay, I'm not out in space. Now, I'm not doing rebel things right now. I have to get back into this role. I have to assume this character that I, that I wear when I am on Coruscant, and I cannot falter in it. 
So again, that little pause for that affectation. Loved it so, so much. Uh, visiting Luthen's shop was a lot of fun too. Kind of getting to see the life that he has on Coruscant and how he's trying to use that shop as a front for the rebellion. If you can't deliver, I need to know. Do you think I'm not trying? I never think that. But I need to start planning if you're no longer coming through for us. The money's there. It's just getting very dangerous to move it around. I can't pull funds the way I used to. They're watching me now. Uh, they're watching everyone. This is different. They're everywhere. There's a new spy every day at the Senate. I visit the bank. They're all new faces. You got a new driver. <sighs> I feel under siege. I have many mouths to feed. I can only forage for so long. So this leads us to Mon Mothma discussing bringing in another member into the inner circle. And Luthen has some concerns about that, but you have to be wondering, oh, who is Mon Mothma talking about at this point? And hopefully we'll get some answers to that very, very soon. I'm very intrigued. Again, we're full of possibilities, but I don't want I don't don't want to play that speculation game. Let's just focus on the show. And, and and talk a little bit more about about, about Luthen's store. I got I got I got I got to talk about Luthen's store a little bit. And Luthen's shop is also very very in- interesting. Uh, it's it, it it's sort of even like passive resistance in, in a sense because if you think about sort of what we know about the empire and again, a lot of our we extrapolate a lot of our our knowledge quote unquote of the empire. <laughs> you know, it's not not all of it's it's a lot of it's from like old canon or lore, sort of what we've taken from certain elements of the movies and, and some of the other shows, what's been alluded to. Uh, that's why I sort of think it's interesting here uh, that, that Luthen has this shop of, of historical curios. And, and again, based off of sort of like extrapolating what we know about the empire, they're sort of not real big on the preservation of history. They're sort of into suppressing history, kind of, forgetting about it, wiping it out, you know? The belief being that Emperor Palpatine goes to great lengths to make the galaxy forget about the Jedi. You know, he, he destroys their temples. He, just, he, he, he takes their artifacts. He crushes everything that he can, squirrels it all away. It's not for any knowledge of the Jedi is knowledge for him and him alone. So, again, you sort of extrapolate that, that, that you know, history is written by the conquerors, right? And the Empire is the conquerors of the galaxy. So, why not try and suppress any sort of history of the rest of the galaxy that takes place before the the rise of the empire? That stuff's not important. That doesn't matter. So Luthen's store sort of exists as like this this passive resistance to the fact that the empire uh, wants to write their own history, and that's what the more important element to them. So there's a lot of and again, it's sort of funny to me. Again, last week I made the reference. I made I or I, I sorry I sorry I made a made a declarative statement that oh man, this Andor show is pretty great. Like there's not a ton of Easter eggs or anything that I got to worry about, uh, uh, you know, paying attention to in the background. Like the show's just happening. Uh, so of course we go to Luthen's shop and it's full of all sorts of 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 <laughs> visual Easter eggs. We have a bit of a bit of an Easter egg hunt going on. In Luthen's shop, uh, in the the first most noticeable noticeable item behind Luthen in his shop is what appears to be uh, a, a Sith Stalker armor, and you know you may know this from the Force Awakens. I'm sorry, the Force Unleashed video games. Uh, Star Killer has dons it in in several of the Dark Visions, uh, and and another character uh, I believe takes it over by the end of that game. I'm trying to remember his name. It was like Merrick something, I think. Right? Reagan will know. 
Uh, Galen Merrick. Galen Merrick. Sorry, just clicked. All right, there it is. <laughs> so, if you play the old Force, uh, the, the old Force Unleashed video game, a lot of fun throwing stormtroopers a thousand miles away with the Force. Great times. So that armor, very reminiscent of what we see in Luthen's shop here. Uh, there's all kinds of other things. I, you know, we could talk about the Utapauan monk cudgel. You know, that's okay. <laughs> it looks like there might be uh, Plo Koon's breathing mask. Maybe I'm not so sure. There's uh, uh, look what appears to be the mural of the world between worlds. That could be a thing. That could be a real thing right there. Uh, people have speculated that that over his shoulder in the back room when he's talking about Mothma, that there are two uh, Jedi and Sith holocrons visible. They looked a little big to me, but I guess there's not really any sort of size limit on how big or small a Jedi or Sith holocron has to be. So I guess they could be. Like, why not? Let's go for it. <laughs> Let's just believe that, that that's the case. Uh, and then w one element that I saw in, in Luthen's back room that I thought was very, very interesting, if I'm right, I, 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 I did freeze it because I, I sort of did like a double take, and I was like, wait, is that what I think it is? What appeared to be Indiana Jones's whip, frozen in carbonite. Hmm, that's fairly interesting stuff. So, yeah, Luthen's got like this whole historical thing going on, and we didn't even mention the the Kuwati sigil that he gives to Andor at the beginning of the episode. Another really great uh, a piece of referencing some old lore, I guess, is the best way to describe it, right? Because not only, I mean, he drops the name Kuwati, right? So we know he's referring to the planet Kuwat, who we have not really seen in New Canon, but in the old canon was a major imperial shipyard and was, a, you know, a big deal planet. It also has, it's also a, a core planet. Uh, so it's important to the Empire. What's also really neat about it is what he says about it, right? So it's made of the blue kyber. He describes it as a sky stone from, from the ancient planet. And he says, and I quote, it celebrates the uprising against the Rakatan invaders, end quote. This, my friends, is a reference to the classic Knights of the Old Republic video game series. And uh, it's, it's about Force-sensitive invaders uh, from, a, from you know, who, who could only be stopped when they encountered the early Jedi. And again, if you want to explore that, you can check out the Dawn of the Jedi comic books. I posted some pictures several months back when I was revisiting that series recently. Uh, and it's all about the early Jedi uh, encountering the Rakatan and stopping their invasion of the galaxy uh, on the planet Tython, a, a planet that we have visited on the Mandalorian. So pretty neat stuff in that regards. Now we're going to transition and talk about Mon Mothma here because uh, Mon Mothma is, is fascinating. I'm really excited that we're getting to explore her in a more uh, direct way as opposed to like comics and, and novels that sort of have existed to kind of fill in some of her backstory I, I like I like her being a front and center character in this show one of the one of the things I was sort of surprised by was when we go home and re when we return to Mon Motha's home and again I sort of love she lives in this palatial sort of estate that, that seems fitting for a, a senator of, of her rank I would imagine but I sort of love the way that like the Chandrillan uh, trees are incorporated into his design and Shangela referenced very heavily in the episode. So I, so I sort of like all these things about it. But what's interesting to me is uh, she finds out that her husband's planning this dinner party. And, you know, this is our first time in, in, in a visual form 
meeting Perrin, her Mon Mothma's husband, and they seem to have a very antagonistic relationship. I mean, he seems to have gone out of his way to to invite her political enemies to this party uh, because they're not boring. <laughs> He's looking for some sort of uh, uh, spice of life, if you will, uh, here on Coruscant, uh, living as... as you know, I don't know if he's a kept man necessarily, but he seems to have some sort of uh, uh, itch for excitement. You know, when he's when when Mon's in Luthen's shop, uh, uh, they talk about how he sort of has like this appreciation for the history of violence. So you sort of wonder what 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 Perrin's deal is here a little bit, and and Chandrilla is a you know in 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 the books at least very peaceful planet. But yeah, I want to know more about Mon Mothma's relationship with her husband. Is it antagonistic intentionally so? Or is there something going on? Uh, is, was there some sort of rift that will be healed or, or possibly torn asunder by the end of the series? Uh, I, know, I know in the books they have talked about her being married, um, but they can change whatever they want. You know, the, the sort of long-standing rule with Star Wars is, is if it's on a show or a fi- you know, if it's been filmed and uh, it's on a show or a movie, that takes precedence over anything from a book or a comic. And that's just kind of the way it is. Also with, with that situation is, again, we talked about the political enemies involved, and, and it's, it's Slymore and Ars Dangor, who, again, if you've read the comics, you've gotten to spend some more time with these characters, uh, particularly in the Darth Vader comic book. Uh, but we also get reference to, to Gorman and how Slymore and Ars Dangor have cut off them, as a, uh, have cut off Gorman's trade routes. And that's a fairly deep-cut reference uh, because cause Gorman is a planet that's going to have an atrocity atrocity committed against it by the Empire. And it seems like they're building towards that atrocity being committed. You know, the first step is cutting off these trade routes so that when the populace rises because they're starving to death, the Empire is going to go and, and quell it with maximum violence, according to the lore. According to the, again, again, it's been referenced in, in Star Wars Rebels, but you can go back to the old, old canon, old EU, the Star Wars X-Wing video game and the Rebellion video game also talks about Gorman being uh, a place of a major imperial atrocity, and we seem to be building towards that with this reference. Uh, and that's got to be an awkward dinner. Like, oh, I don't like to go to dinner with anybody that I'm not a fan of. Well, I mean, <laughs> listen, it's <laughs> it doesn't take a lot for you to be somebody that I'm just like, oh, I don't want to spend time with that person at all. But can you imagine being there with uh, your enemy, like a, 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 a political adversary, if you will? And, and having to like play nice while these people are in your home, drinking your food and going through your medicine cabinet when you're not looking, oh, that would just, I would be very, very upset by this. I understand Mon Mothma's pain on this. And, and uh, you know, I think Mon needs to go and go into her bedroom, put on the Netflix, get some DoorDash or whatever, and just not leave. I would just skip this dinner party. I would not participate at all. I would say, I am super sick. <laughs> I'm just going to hide out in here. Not going. No thanks. Hard pass. Hard no. Bars, Danga, Slymore from the Vizier's private chamber. Is that a problem? You can't be serious. These people hate me. They spend every day trying to undo anything I've touched. Well, perhaps tomorrow they'll think twice. Not right now, please. Go. You shouldn't have invited them without making sure I was aware. Well, it's a bit late to cancel. But... At your pleasure. <laughs> well played, Perrin. And no, I'm not being serious. Don't seat them near me. Oh, I've taken care of that. You're at the boring end of the table. These people are fun. 
Who are they? Are they fun? Well, we should find some Gorman guests for tonight and see how amused they are. Your fun friends just cut off their shipping lanes yesterday. Do you know how many will starve? Perhaps we can laugh about it over the third course. Perhaps you should have a rest. If you make me pay attention, I will, and you won't be happy. Before, before we leave this particular topic, though, I, I did want to go back to, to Mon Mothma and Perrin real quick, because, I, again, I am very curious about the relationship. I'm curious if there was a love there, or if this was sort of like an arranged political kind of marriage, which is why Perrin's more than happy to kind of poke the bear with Mon Mothma. Uh, I, I, I'd love to explore this a little bit more. I want to get some more information here. Um, because I'm very curious, I, you know, Mon Mothma's doing very dangerous things, eating uh, Luthen in his quest to kind of get this rebellion building and, and, and off the ground. So you have to wonder how much does he know? It seems that he doesn't know anything. It seems that he's in the dark. And perhaps that's why he's lashing out, because he knows that she's keeping secrets. Does he suspect that it's a, it's a, it is a secret this big? Probably not. But I think he suspects that Mon Mothma's up to something. His wife is up to something, and, and maybe it's something as simple as he believes that she is stepping out on him. Uh, so that's why he's doing these things. Uh, it'll, again, I really look, I'm looking forward to exploring more of the dynamic of their relationship and kind of getting uh, in, into Mon's life. I mean, again, we're spending time with an imperial senator at the height of the empire, you know, coalescing its power around her. And she feels like she has no allies, and she goes home and finds out she has no allies there either. Uh, it's it's got to be insane, insanely frustrating and disheartening position to find yourself in. You know, you're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to stand up for for the good. You're trying to be light in in the face of darkness in the galaxy. And you feel the enemy on all sides of you when you're out and about. When you're in the Imperial Senate. When you're out on the streets. When you're in the bank. You feel the eyes on you. And you want to believe that when you go into the confines of your home, that you're that you're possibly safe. You know, maybe you're worried about your servants because again they're. In, living the high life, they got the servants going on, so you can't really know where the servants' alliances lie. But you want to believe that at some point, you would be able to confide in your partner. And it doesn't feel like that's the relationship that Mon and, and Perrin have with each other. So I, I, I want to see that explored more. I can't wait to have that explored more. And uh, gosh, I, I just wanted those answers. I want to know. I want to know so badly about what that. The final element of this episode that I want to bring up is, is now the introduction of the ISB, the Imperial Security Bureau. Again, old-time fans like myself will remember the ISB that existed uh, specifically in the X-Wing Squadron books. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the Rogue Squadron books, my goodness. Uh, and, you know, generally with, with, you know, led by Assard, and they were sort of like, in those books, they were kind of very SS-like in, in, in a sense. They seem a bit softened <laughs> from that in this take of the ISB, but I suspect we're going to see them ramping things up. Uh, the ISB portion of this episode is, is is actually kind of fun because it's, it's dealing with a lot of the fallout from episode three of the series. You know, we come to this meeting and we find out the, about the the fallout on, on Ferrix and, and how things got out of hand and now there's going to be a price to pay and that price is paid by, by Cyril Karn and, and his boss, and his subordinate, who launched that attack on Fer on Ferrix, and it all went horribly, horribly wrong. They're all dismissed. They're, the Morlana is now being taken under control by direct Imperial supervision. The corporate police thing, Corsac is not Corsac. <laughs> more the moral. <laughs> I did that last time too. The pre-core, I think, is what they were called in the last episode. They're out. They're done. And this guy, uh, this guy Karn is thrown out, tossed out on his butt, goes home to his mom. 
and they seem to have an interesting relationship. But I would be surprised if this is not the last time we've seen Karn in this show, uh, specifically because ISB agent uh, Deidre Mero has taken a great interest in what happened on uh, on Ferrix because a, she is the one who's she's the one in uh, the sort of supervisor of the, of the sector where Cassian stole the Starpath unit from. She's aware of the Starpath unit's theft and that it was recovered on Ferrix, so she wants the details, but she's not getting the information from the, her fellow ISB agent who's now in charge of that sector. What's interesting about this from the conversation that we have with, with, with Mero and uh, the person playing her boss who... Ooh, what was his name? I'm blanking on it already. Did he? I'm not even sure they introduced him as a character with with a name, but I'm sure he has a name. I just don't know what it is yet. But the ISB officer in charge, which if it was a Sard, would be amazing. I would I would lose my mind. So if there's a correction anytime soon, I'll get back to you on that. But what I really liked about the conversation after the other ISB agent has left the room, the one in charge of the FedEx sector, is that is very much implied that Mero's going to have a hard time because she is a female in the Empire and that the deck is a bit stacked against her, so she has to work harder and be more diligent than her other uh, other agents around her. I thought that was very, very interesting. Uh, on a personal note, one of the things I've disliked about the Empire in sort of like the new Disney-fied version of it, uh, and this has been mostly in the comics, where, where they try to do this in the comics. I, have not, I haven't seen it too much in the new books or... Uh, any of the shows or anything like that. But this sort of idea that the Empire is not like a human first kind of organization. <laughs> you know, the comics has been incorporating like, you know, aliens into the Empire. And I don't know, call me old fashioned, but I, I liked my Empire just being full of space racists. I just thought it was easier that way. And, you know, just a, a very anti alien stance that the Empire had. It sort of made sense for them as, as, as tyrants, right? As, as, fascists um so why not have a little bit of sexism in there too you know <laughs> that sounded weird the way when you say it like that but again you're we're, i think we're going to spend time with this isb agent and we're going to sort I, I would not be surprised if at some point we, we sort of sympathize with her and the things that get stacked against her on on her path to finding the star path unit and and again she's she tells her supervisor she's seeing a pattern she is seeing the beginning the fomentation of rebellion and she's here to squash it, but if she's not going to get the support of her fellow agents and, and her supervisor, again, she's going to have to go to great lengths to prove that these things exist. You have two sectors to supervise. Levin is handling sex. He does, I will admit, hew to the traditional viewpoint of this office and its staffing. He is, I'm sure, a challenge to work with. His quarterly reports, however, are in, and yours are not, and here we are spending your valuable time with this issue. There's a high bar for your performance, Lieutenant. Unfair, perhaps, but senseless to ignore and potentially the foundation of a uniquely superior career. You're supposed to be more competent and tucked away. That's why you're here. That's why we're bringing in officers like you. Let's remind everyone of that and not get lost in the dust. Yes, sir. On a positive note, I was impressed with your detention numbers from Sev Talk. Far above the quota. I may be sending more of that sort of work your way. Thank you, sir. We're done. And I'm, I'm really interested to see what her journey is, what her path is going to be. Uh, ISB agent Miro could be a very interesting person, character to follow on the show. And 
uh, again, I'm really intrigued by it. And yet, again, I, ca- I call back because because the fallout from episode three, when the, when all the the course uh, the um, private security guys are getting uh, disciplined and chewed out and and sent out on the way on their bums, is is pretty pretty darn amusing. Uh, the one last little note I had, I skipped over it earlier, but I, I actually liked how um, when Cassian gets to uh, Aldani and he's getting ready to be introduced to the ragtag group of rebels, but would be rebels, uh, he he takes the name uh, uh, Clem, which is in case anyone missed it, is the name of his sort of adopted father, uh, the one who was is, was referred to as being as being hung in in the in the in the town square basically. Uh, so kind of a neat little callback to that in a very, you know, if you'd missed it last week, yes, Clem was the name of the, of, of Cassian's adopted father. So a very cool little callback right there in that episode. By the way, I did just do some deep diving and it's Major Partagas, not, not Isard in charge of the ISB, at least not on this level that we're seeing thus far, but maybe Isard shows up later. Who's to say? I want to go back real quick to, to, uh, to, to the planet Aldhani. And, and, and Cassian uh, kind of making his way with Vel's group. I, did, I never gave Vel credit. as a, I never named her. But I did like the way they sort of lay their plan out for him. Uh, and he calls it sort of a suicide run. Which we know Cassian's fate is ultimately to have a suicide run. But we know it's not going to be this one. Uh, so I did really enjoy that element of, of, of the episode. I loved him trying to sort of integrate with these people. And now he has... And it ends with him having to learn a whole lot of things before they're going to move forward with the plan because he, they're three days out from pulling this thing off. And Cassian's going to have to step up and deliver the goods. No, I have to use this. Yeah. That's the Rono Freighter specs and the console layout. You get done with that? That's a detailed map of the garrison. That's an Aldani phrasebook. Can I eat my food? You'll eat, you'll let Sinter check the bandage, and you'll have learned all that by morning. It's, it's really good stuff. I, I, I liked the plot here, uh, what they're getting to with, with the heist, and this group that, that Vel is the leader of on, on Aldhani. It's, it's really interesting stuff. And again, I don't think they trust Cassian, and maybe rightly so. And it's sort of interesting that he's portrayed as a mercenary, right? That's that, that Luthan sort of, you know, promised him 20,000 credits, which again, if they're still on this entire payroll is, is, you know, it, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of Imperial credits to, to offer somebody. So casting is sort of a mercenary is least as he portrayed as one, you know, cause he's not a true believer yet. He's not, again, he's not the casting Andor from rogue one, but you have to wonder if by the end of, this heist, if it goes successfully, um, you know, just when does he achieve true believer status? When does he say, no, 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 this money's for the cause and I'm all in. Uh, and so that's what I'm looking forward to seeing. And, you know, maybe it's next episode. Let's hope so. I want to see some goods. Because again, as good as this episode is, give me some of that Star Wars action too, because I'm a big fan of all of it. So yeah, this is a really great episode of the show. Again, we're off to, I think we're off to a really strong start with this series. We're four episodes in. I'm having a total blast watching it. So many levels, so many layers. It's complex. It's, it's thoughtful. 
Uh, it, it, it pays attention to its its own history. Uh, it hasn't steamrolled anything out of Star Wars continuity just yet, which I appreciate. And, and, and it's showing Cassian Andrew to be a far more complex character than I think maybe he was given credit for in Rogue One. I love seeing him on these first steps. I love seeing him on this journey from you know being being something of a, of a scoundrel, of something of a con man, and a thief, uh, to a, a true believer in the rebellion, and again, sort of exploring those lines that he first gave us in Rogue One about him being in this fight. Maybe he was in this fight, but in a, in a very different fashion than I think we all imagined him being in this fight since he was six years old. So I, I like getting to see that story. But I'm having a great time exploring Luthien Rail. I'm having a great time. Uh, seeing Mon Mothma's world and and sort of like the walls closing in around her, feeling that she has, I want to see what the ISB has in store for us. I'm I'm intrigued by that storyline. There's a lot going on here. I'm I'm in for all of it. I think you all knew that already. In for a penny, in for a pound, and I'm loving it. Andor has been a real treat thus far, and I'm so so happy. Again, I'm getting that itch scratched. That ooh, it was right between the shoulder blades. It feels so good. Oh, yes, give me more of this kind of Star Wars. I'm having a blast. Uh, with that being said, I think we're going to wrap up this episode of the show. I think I got everything off my chest that I needed to. You know, I didn't cover every single Easter egg. You know, there's a Scarif reference in there. There's there's a reference to the planet adjacent to the planet where uh, the Mandalorian Din Djarin finds Grogu. Uh, these are interesting things, but, you know, I, I, I they weren't... Um, you know, dropping my socks or anything like that. They were they were cool. I liked seeing them. I liked hearing them. But yeah, I, th- I covered the big ones. I covered the ones that I thought struck a, a real you know resonant chord with me. So I hope you agree with with my take on that. All right, so let's go ahead and close up shop. Another reminder to please follow us on social media. We are at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and and Instagram. Please email the show MandoVisionTom at gmail Be sure to like, subscribe, share. And follow. <laughs> Please be sure to like, subscribe, follow, and share this show with all the Mandalorians in your covert. If possible, or so inclined, please give us a sweet, sweet, sweet five star reviews. They really help small independent shows like us stand out, not get lost in the shuffle. And we appreciate you taking the time to do so. If you got a few shekels that you want to help support the show with, you can do so over at Mando. Ooh, hang on now. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Mandivision. You can become a Mandivision maniac, join Buckethead Nation, and hang out with super cool people and get bonus content. Sweet, sweet, sweet bonus content. New episode, new bonus content just dropped for our Patreons yesterday. Uh, hang out with rad Patreons like the Aspinel Chody, the Batman Abejo, Jeff Nail. Jeff's got a great podcast called The Ring in Ear. Check that one out. Thanks to Evil Circle, the evilest of all circles, the Squid Master General, Brian Broussard, the New Jersey Devil, Mark Wegemer, our very own Joker and Harley Quinn, Brian and Krista of Pride Brewing in Baltimore, Maryland. The Beer Hop Brigadier General, Jesus Beer Hops, the silent assassin, he who shall not be named, and Syndicate Ram, co-host of Come On, It's Still Good, a great movie and TV show podcast, and a frequent collaborator with us here on the Man Division podcast. Thank you all so much for the support. Enjoy the new episode. Uh, more bonus content coming throughout the month of October. Brace yourselves if you are in a part of Buckethead Nation. Get ready. All right, we'll be back next week for another thrilling installment of Andor. I can't wait. Oh, is it Wednesday yet? Get me there. All right, Bucketheads, let's get out of here. You know this podcast can only end one way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way.
This is the way. I find that answer vague and unconvincing.